Good evening. This shiur will be Leilu Nishmat Vora Bat Mercedes, Ruven Ben Yudit Silverman, Leilu Nishmat Ruven Ben Yudit, and Lavdi Latzlachat Eliyahu Kalman Ben Avraham. Also, this shiur will be Leilu Nishmat, the children of Mishpachat Sasson. That were burned a few years ago in Aleph Benisan, Rosh Chodesh Nisan. It was on Shabbat, same day of the Ptira of Nadav and Aviu. It's written in the Torah, Bekrovaya Kadesh, meaning sometimes Hashem takes the highest souls and take them away from the world before the time, just like with Nadav and Aviu, as a sacrifice for many other Jews that should have gone and give them life by taking those tzaddikim. In today's generation, it's more like children. Children from Talmud Torah, pure children. Uh, I spoke to their mother today on the phone. She told me that uh, it's on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, it's coming on this Shabbat. If we can make this shiur, Leilu Nishmatam. And uh, you may ask, what did they even need Leilu Nishama? <laughs> They didn't even get to bar mitzvah. They didn't even commit a sin. So why would why would they need such a you know such a thing? So the answer is that even someone that is in heaven is also going higher and higher by elevating their soul, such as kaddish or when we do a Torah shiur for those the righteous people, it helps their soul. Also, she told me that her birthday is Aleph Be'av. Uh, it's Rosh Chodesh Av. It's the day that Aaron Cohen passed, and it's very interesting how it's connected to Nadav and Aviu. And usually, the Gemara said that the tzaddikim, usually those very big ones, the day they passed, that's the day they were also born, like Moshe Rabenu, because Hashem wants them to have full life. Meaning from year to year, not to have a, sh- a short to shorten the year. Maybe Aaron was uh, birthday was also in the same date. I don't know. Anyway, uh, we are now in hard days. In the last week, there were two terror attacks in Israel. The ones from last week we spoke already about in Be'er Sheva. There was one in Chedera yesterday. Chedera, it's past Natania. You have Tel Aviv, Herzliya, Natania, and Chedera, and then Afula. That's the order of the cities. So it's very close to the center. In the middle of the day, meaning at night or evening, whatever it was, Arabs, which I've been telling you for 20 years, there's no difference between Arabs who have Israeli citizenship and Arab that doesn't. doesn't really make a difference. Only the... The foolish uh, lefty liberals try to pretend that there are two kinds of Ishmaelim. The answer, the problem with the Arabs is not a political problem like most people think. It doesn't really matter even if we give them Israel and we surrender to them and we go back, everyone, to a different country, they will still chase us to kill us and torture us. Nothing to do with Israel. People think that the problem with the Arabs is on territories. It's nonsense. Why? Because that's the excuse they're using. 
They know they never been in Israel before until 1964. They never had a government. They never had an army. They don't have an anthem. They don't have a flag. They never had a representative in the United Nations. They don't have one history book. So they know. They know that they, they never had a state in Israel. They know. The whole world knows that Israel belongs to the Jews. They read it in the Torah in their own churches and mosques. So obviously the problem is nothing to do with territory or with, uh, with the political reasons. The problem is that the creator of the world, he actually nominated the Arabs to be the police that guard us. Whenever we do something wrong, he sends them to hurt us, to torture us, and to kill us. To, live, to make us live in fear, not to make our life a picnic. There's always, they're always around. It's similar to someone who is in a forest and you see tigers and lions and snakes. Obviously, he cannot sleep well at night because he's always worried. And when a person is worried, he makes, he commits less sins. He begins to pray to Hashem. He has connection to Hashem. So the Arabs are not really a factor here. Let's not make that mistake, start cursing them and getting angry that they're murdering us with such brutality and cruel, cruelness. They have, nothing to, they have nothing to do with this. It's just the hand of Hashem that used Muhammad and Mustafa and, ah and Said and Ahmed. They are not a factor here. Those who think that the problem is the Arabs, they are so evil, why they such murderers, and all these things that you hear about, it's all nonsense. It's choser emuna. It's lack of fate. The problem is that it's the hand of Hashem that's stabbing us. It's the hand of Hashem that throw rock at us, rocks. It's the hand of Hashem that shoot at us automatic weapon, or put a bomb, or hit us with a car and when we stand in a bus stop. And every bullet has an address. Every bullet has an address. Uh, yesterday was a perfect example. You can see the video. The two Arabs coming with machine guns. There was one religious Ethiopian guy standing right next to them. One step. One step next to them. He was the first one that should have got the bullet. They passed by him with his yarmulke. They passed by him. Like he doesn't exist. I don't know. It looks like they didn't see him. He was standing right in front of them on a the sidewalk. They went around the bus and they didn't touch that guy. And then they started to shoot other people. So you have to see that this is the end of Hashem. And uh, I can give you many different examples that even when Hashem wants to wake us up, He still have a lot of mercy on us. Why? Because when two Arabs come with a, with a gun that has automatic weapon and begin to shoot at people, usually something like this end between 30 to 100 dead. Just like the guy in New Zealand went to the mosque and started to shoot Arabs. Remember this Nazi? There was more than 100 dead, I think, over there. So something like this, two terrorists with a machine gun coming to a place of a lot of people and begin to shoot at them automatic weapon, everybody dies. How many people died too and four got wounded? The two that got killed, one of them was not Jewish. Poor guy is a Druzi. They are good uh, Gentiles, the Druzi. They live in Israel. They're loyal to the country. And they even serve in the police, in the army. So he's a young uh, Druzi, probably 20 years old. He got killed. 
and there was one Jewish girl, 19 years old, very sad story. She went to Bet Yaakov, she was ultra-Orthodox, and then she left the religion and joined the army. Religious girls do not go to the army. She went to the army and became a policewoman. Uh, definitely no religious girl going to be a police in Mishmar Agvul, nevertheless, which is a job of men all day you're fighting with Arabs in the borders and all kinds of terrorists, and you have to run from one place to another. It's a very serious job only for men. I don't know why they use women for such a job, so dangerous and so brutal. And physically, you need to be very strong and mentally. It's not a job for women. It destroys their mind, destroys their body. I don't know why the stupid army is using girls, 18, 19 years old, to be police women in Arab territories when every one of them is a monster there. Who wants to put our holy girls in such a place? Such fools. Unfortunately for this girl, she won't be able to do tshuva anymore because she's dead already. She was alive, maybe one day she will change her mind and go back to Hashem's religion. And unfortunately, there was a end. And the biggest miracle was that when they started to shoot, there was a commando unit of soldiers eating in a restaurant next door, with, all with guns. And that's what saved the situation. If they would not be there, expect a hundred death. In a country like Israel, a hundred people dead, I don't have to tell you what would be. They came out quickly when they heard the automatic weapon. In less than a minute, they killed them. If they were not there, the disaster was beyond words. Two people died. It's very painful. But we can live with that. You know, we live with that. When it's small terror attacks, three, two, four, this is the way the world is. People, after a week, go back with their life. But if there's going to be a hundred or a thousand, it's very difficult to go back to normal life as such a massive tragedy. So I started to explain to you, the Arabs, there is a verse in the book of God. He made them. And he writes, he's the maker. Who knows better what's good for the Mercedes and what kind of charger is good for the Tesla? And what kind of gasoline you have to use for Boeing airplane? Who knows the most? The one who made it, right? If the maker of all people, he writes in his book that the Arab were designed to be pere adam. Pere adam means look like people, but have a traits of dangerous animals, meaning very aggressive, brutal, killing with no mercy, that's the children of Ishmael. And they will be dominant in the world. There's nothing in the world that will happen without their hands in it. Meaning oil. And what you see, what's happening in the world. They, they control the world with their oil. And all these years, there's no replacement to the oil. They made electric cars. They invent all kinds of things. And still, there is the same amount of demand for oil. It's mamash the hand of Hashem that they will continue to sell oil and control the prices of the oil. Why? Because if you will find a complete replacement for oil, they will be not relevant, the Arab. No one will care about them. Right now, everyone has to, to ask what they think and how upset they are. 
because you cannot go on without them giving the approval, because if tomorrow a barrel of oil will be a thousand dollars, it will be finished. So they're holding you by the neck. And no matter how many solar things we invent, there is no reduction in a demand for their oils. Why? Because Hashem wrote in the Torah that they will be involved in everything in the world. Whether they're around, whether they're not around, you will feel the presence always. You feel the presence when you get on a flight with all the security, with the headache, we cannot get liquid on a flight, there's a lot of restrictions, all these tests and machines and all that things. It's one reason, Muslim terrorists. Everywhere in the world, people suffer from it. Every place they have to put guards and security all over. Why is it? Because Hashem made a rule in the creation. Just like the tiger and the lions, they will attack the sheep and the zebra, the Arabs will torture the world. Why? God made it like that. It's not in their hands. You should not hate them for that. You should not be upset at them. This is the way God designed them and this is the way he programmed them. Now, in case you are asking, but you cannot say that every Arab is like this, the answer is you're right. Some of them are very nice people. So what's the explanation? The explanation is very simple. Not everyone that speaks Arabic or came from an Arab country or claimed to be Muslim is really from the children of Ishmael. Many of them, with the generations in the last two, three thousand years, moved from different countries such as Russia and Europe, moved into Arab countries, and after five, ten, twenty generations, their children already grew up Arab, just like people, Israelis, who came to America, and their children are Americans. Nobody remembered that the grandfather was Israeli. That's it, they are 100% Americans here. So the same thing with them. Not all of them are children of Ishmael. When you see someone that is extremely nice and intelligent, is anti-terrorism, and is upset when Arabs kill others, is really upset, for real, not uh, putting a show, then you know that this person, his soul, does not belong to the nation of Ishmael. Why? Because God made a rule. If you came from Ishmael, you must be a wild beast. It's not in your hand. So therefore, when a cat sees the mouse, he begins to attack. He doesn't have a choice. When an Arab, a real Ishmaeli, sees a Jew, his anger rises to 1,000%. Right away, he thinks, how can I torture him and kill him? Why? This is the will of God. So who you are upset at? You upset the Arab? What, is it, what can he do? There's nothing he can do about it. This is a verse in the book of God. Do you think the Arab can do something different than the way God made him? It's not possible. So who should you be upset at? God? No. Because why did he send you the Arabs to torture you? Everywhere the Jews live, right away the Arabs move next to them. You don't wonder how can it be? Hashem made it that the Arabs will make one day a fake religion called Quran, Islam, and over there they'll copy a lot of the things from the Torah. And in the Torah, it's written that you can only eat animals, only eat animals when the animals are slaughtered by the neck. And there's other things in the oral Torah that you have to check, but the Arabs don't have the oral Torah. So for them it's enough what's written, that the animal has to be slaughtered. Meaning you cannot eat a dead body of an animal that died naturally or died with a gunshot 
or got electrocuted or drowned or was attacked by another animal. You have to take a living animal and slaughter it, just like the Jews do, without all the extras that the Jews check, because they have no oral Torah, so they don't know what to check. They just want a slaughtered animal. Therefore, when they want to move to an area, Canada, France, Belgium, United States, any place, they choose the location based on where the Jews live. Why? Because they know whenever the Orthodox Jews live, there is places that sell kosher meat that the animals are slaughtered. So as soon as they arrive to the area, first day when they move in, they have halal meat, meaning kosher meat from Arabs, meaning that the Arabs can immediately come to the Jewish store and buy meat, and it's kosher for them to use. This is how Hashem designed it, that they will always be around us. Always. Why? Because that was the whole purpose of making them to begin with. That they will be after the Jews and keep torturing them until the day the Mashiach would come, the Messiah. So, I don't understand. Why are you so upset at them? They do their job. Why they are now more successful than before? Because we became bigger criminals. When we commit more sins, when there are more lefties among us and liberal and traders and people who fight the Torah and fight the religion and do not keep Shabbat and do not keep modesty, Hashem sends them to scream the truth in our face every minute. Allah Akbar, God is great. Modesty of the women, they're very strong with that. Screaming against pigs, meaning uh, pork, screaming against all kinds of things. So you don't want to learn it from my Torah, you would learn it from these people who come to kill you and torture you. You're not going to run away from my truth. You want to run away from the truth, I will send you another one of these Ishmaelim to shoot at you or to stab you, but before he will stab you, he will scream to you, God is great. You understand? Or before they shoot a rocket at you in Tel Aviv, they make a video and they scream, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, they scream. Every time they come to torture the Jews, they make sure to scream the name of God before. Where is your head? You don't see that is Hashem shooting at us. You don't see that Hashem is torturing us. Enough, enough with all these political arguments. Waste of time. Complete waste of time. Same, same thing with all the stupid arguments about the corona, this, that, this will help, that will help, quarantine, mask, vaccine, all baloney. There's only one thing solving this problem, make peace with God. Raise, lower the, the, the level of anger that he has towards you or towards your people. And while you do that, everything Bezrat Hashem will go back to normal and quiet and peace. And that's it. You want to do it this way? Fine. You don't want to learn this way? You're going to learn the hard way. Invest another billion in the army and buy another five million rockets and another uh, the Iron Dome and another uh, more spies and more air force and more tanks and more soldiers and more people will die every day. That's it. You want to learn the easy way? There is an option. You don't? You will learn the hard way. Just like they say in the Israeli army, what does not come from the head comes from the legs. 
You don't want to learn the, the easy way? You know, I'll give you an example. People fly, some people fly a lot every week, business people, you know. And every time they sit on the flight, they give an explanation what to do in case of emergency. Right? They heard it a thousand times. Do you think there is one person in America who knows what to do in a time of emergency? Nobody listens. Whenever they show how to use the belt and how to sh the mask and under the chair, all these things, nobody listens. What will happen when, God forbid, the plane will be in an emergency situation? Maybe one out of 500 people will know what to do. No one will know what to do. Everyone will be panicking, screaming, help me, help me. But how many women can, can be, you know, there's five, ten that walks in the flight? What are they going to do? They're going to be able to help you? The plane go down or you need to do all kinds of certain things, to sit in a certain way, to bend down, to put your hand around you. You know, all these things that they explain in that video, nobody listens. So when the people will need to do what, they, what the video show, they will have to learn the hard way, meaning the plane will crash. Either they die, or if they won't die, they'll be paralyzed. And if they won't be paralyzed, they'll be in hospital six months with pain and surgeries and lose their vision, their sight, and broken bones and all that. Six months will take to go back to normal if it will ever happen. Because you were lazy not to watch a three minutes video. Once to pay attention what to do. Right? That's very simple. This is a perfect example. And there's millions of examples like this. If you pay attention to the details, you would do it the right way. One example, one, the best, one of the best examples in life is when you have to choose where to put your children. When they become three, four you have to choose kindergarten. And you have few options. Conservative, reform, goyim, non-Jews, Israeli secular, Zionist, all kinds of things. Chabad, Breslev, or ultra-ultra-orthodox, right, great, Torah, Ashkafa, perfect for children and from a very young age. They will raise them the correct way. Sometimes you make the choices based on distance. Like you have right one two blocks away from your home, it's convenient. The one that is very kosher, it's maybe 20 blocks away. You don't want to waste every day 10 minutes back and forth with a car. If you can walk one block and put them right there. Or they walk by themselves. This is a way to choose the future of the souls of your children based on the, the destination or, the, or, or distance. Very stupid. Or the tuition, the price. The secular Israeli kindergarten is 200 a month. The ultra ultra orthodox could be five or 400 a month. Double. If you don't have what to eat, at least I understand why you did it. But even the rich people try to save two or three hundred dollars a month and they destroyed and murdered their children. This is, a way, this is a criteria to even measure, to, to compare between this and this because of some money. Whenever you save money on your children's education, it shows that you are not religious because it's written in the Torah that all the expenses of the children for Torah is on Hashem's expense. He added to your annual budget. So you don't have faith. You don't believe what you learn in the Torah. So you're trying to cut from two days or from putting your kids in good yeshiva, even though it's more expensive, 
And in the end, you destroy their soul and become drug addicts, and they marry a non-Jew, and they have no share to the world to come, and it's all your fault. And the 200 that you save the man, in the end, cost you millions. The rehab here, and rehab there, and try to save them from here, and try to save them from there, and police, and bail, and lawyers. Why? You don't want to learn the easy way by reading the Torah and be careful. You're going to learn the hard way. This is many examples like this. Very, I can give you many, many examples like this. You have to be very careful. That's why the Torah say you need a rabbi. You need someone to, to ask what to do. Don't do stupid things based on your understanding. The same thing, you don't make decision about your health when you need a surgery, surgery or not a surgery. You don't know. You ask a professional. You don't make a decision if to make a surgery based on what you read uh, online. It's stupid. That's not how you make decisions in life. You have to ask a doctor that has 20, 30 years of experience every day, check this, he knows, he knows the statistic, he knows what works, what doesn't work. You'll be shocked what you learn from doctors. If he's an honest doctor, sometimes you come and say, I think I need a surgery on my legs, on my knees. Don't do it. Or on your back. Why 93% of the surgery never helps? An honest doctor. Why would you pay $30,000, $40,000 on a back surgery? They mess with your spine, and in the end, it won't help you at all. You won't have any improvement. So that if the doctor is honest, he'll tell you the truth. If he's a crook, he'll make you go through the surgery. Why? He wants to make money. He doesn't care about your suffering and knowing that he cannot even help you. So it's all Rabotai in the end, it all comes down to one thing. What does it come down to? It comes down to, in the end, to if you need to make a decision, you have to ask someone who understands in this field. Same thing when you do your tax return, you have to ask an accountant, a good, a good accountant. When you have to make a decision about going to court and lawsuit, you have to ask a lawyer. When you have to make a decision about your medical situation, you have to ask a doctor. When you need to make decisions that will make an impact on your soul and on your children's soul, you must ask a very high-level, honest, decent rabbi who has the, the right ideology. You cannot ask university rabbis anything. You cannot rely on them in anything. Do not ask them. Find out. If he was in university for a few years, stay away from him. It's true that maybe one out of 10 or one out of 20 will still be okay. Maybe yes. Not everyone is bad. But because the vast majority are terrible, you don't want to take the risk. Rabbis coming from kosher holy yeshivot. And they learn all their life in kosher yeshivot. If they learn when they were young in kosher yeshivot and then I went to university in Manhattan... Stay away from them. They are not reliable. You cannot learn Torah from them, and you cannot learn definitely, you cannot ask them questions about life and death and about the raising your children because the answer they will give you is extremely dangerous. You can look at my blacklist and you see some very popular speakers on YouTube, mass murderers, that's what they are when it comes to spirituality. Mass murderers. One of them is Eichmann of the souls. One of them is Hitler of the souls. One of them is Rudolf Hells of the souls. 
those Nazis murder bodies. Those speakers murder souls on an hourly basis. They give them the worst advice and destroy their soul. They modify the Torah. What's serious, they make a joke. What's not so serious is important for them. Everything by them is the opposite. You've got to be very, very careful. That's why I say you have to have a kosher one that you rely on that will tell you exactly what's right and what's not. We move on. So, you know, the, the, you can see the hand of Hashem because usually the Israelis are not stupid people. They invent a lot of high-tech. They're very good in business. They do a lot of things in Israel that the rest of the world do not have that uh, ability. But how come when it comes to the interaction with the Arabs, we are the dumbest people in the world? How can it be? How is it, how is it possible that Hashem make the Israelis so stupid that things that every little child understands, the Israeli politician never get? How is it possible? The answer is, Hashem is blinding them. But there is another reason for it. What's the other reason? The other reason is because they eat non-kosher food. That's the way to destroy the, the soul and the judgment that the soul has to make, the decision that the soul has to make will always be the opposite of the truth because of the non-kosher food, which I'm going to speak about. That's going to be the main topic tonight. For those who still do not watch very carefully what goes into their mouth after this lecture, I'm sure they will reconsider their foolish decisions. But before we get into it, so i give you an example of what I'm talking about when I say stupidity. In the attack last week in Be'er Sheva, one of the Arabs was four years in jail. And, he al and they already knew that he's a member of ISIS. And he has videos and demonstrations how to mass murder Jews. And the Israeli left his stupid judge, released him based on one word that the Arabs said that he regret what he did. That's it. All you have to do, come to the lefty judge and say, yes, do you regret what you did, Ahmed? Yes, I regret. Finish. Take him out of jail. He went back to terrorism, and last week you saw the results of it. That's an example of stupidity. In America, it, wouldn't happen. it would not happen. It would, it would go to Guantanamo and be there for 30 years, someone like that. Oh, you, you are an ISIS member? You're done. There's no second chance here when it comes to terrorism. How can it be? The Americans, and compared to the Israelis, they're not smarter than the Israelis, but when it comes to this... The Israelis are the dumbest in the world. I'll give you another example. Yesterday attack, two cousins from Um el-Fahem, they have Israeli ID. Israeli ID. One of them, one of them was a member of ISIS. Two attacks from ISIS, right? And one of them was already known to the authorities, to the police, from 2016, that is a member of ISIS. You have an Arab living in your country, on his Facebook page, on his WhatsApp, he's speaking about killing Jews and about the ideology of ISIS. From 2016 until 2022, it's at least six years. Where were you? 
It takes a second to watch a person's social media or emails or even to tap on his phone and to, to watch what he's doing, to make sure you watch at least once a day to see if he's planning something or how brainwashed he is by his mask or by the people that he see on, on YouTube. Six years, nobody checked him. And then he comes with a gun and begins to shoot at people. And remember, this attack could have had a hundred dead people. But Hashem, with his mercy, made, a sh made sure that the commando unit is eating in a restaurant right next door. What are the odds in the evening time? A bunch of people with guns, with machine guns, Israeli soldiers, commando unit that is designed exactly for this kind of attacks. Other soldiers wouldn't know how to handle it. Not every soldier knows how to shoot and to run and to engage with contact and to know how to roll and to shoot and to hide. You need to be trained. These were exactly the unit for the, meaning if they were not there, they would have to call them to get there, which would take who knows how long. By then it would be too late. So Hashem actually prepared already the solution for the problem. And in the end, two people died. One good guy, Druzi, poor guy. And one little girl that was religious from Bet Yaakov, left the religion, joined the army, joined Mishmar Agvul. A year later, she lost her life. This is what I've been screaming for years. What do you think? Hashem is going to wait for you forever? Because you left the religion, you became Halal Shabbat, you went to the army, you became like a goy. And what do you think? Hashem is going to sit and wait for you forever? Sometimes he gives you 10 years, sometimes 20 years, sometimes 40 years, sometimes one year, sometimes one month. I always tell the story about the guy from Staten Island that was 20 years old. And they told me, you make sure to bring him to the seminar. Two times he promised to come. His parents were Baalet Shuva. And two times, twice, he promised to come and he did not come. The rabbi told me, your job is to go bring the guy with your own car from Staten Island to the hotel in New Jersey. Go from Monsi, pass through Staten Island, pick him up and come to New Jersey. You make sure he gets to the seminar. I started to speak to him a few days before. I'm picking you up on Friday. Rabbi, I give you my word. I know I messed up twice, but I'm telling you, you don't have to worry. I swear to you. I'm going to come to the seminar. I promise you I'm going to come. I'm going to pack a bag and I will come. I give you my word. I'm not going to lie to you. You don't have to bother to come all the way. I will get there on my own. Convince me. I said, okay, you know, I cannot repeat the same lie three days in a row. It was actually very convincing. And I was, uh, you know, I was thinking to myself to make such a circle, to go to Staten Island. If he gets there on his own, better for me. So, Friday, six in the evening, he's not there. Seven, he's not there. Eight, Shabbat started already. I asked the girl, did you see this guy with yellow hair, green hair, earring over ear, tattoos, very skinny, using drugs? She said, no. I said, you can't miss such a guy. Right away, the description, she would know who I'm talking about. No, and a guy like this didn't show up. Tell her the name. No, he didn't come. I say to myself, how can it be that this guy fooled me like this? I'm so naive. I can't believe it. What am I going to tell the rabbi now? He's counted on me to bring him. And remember, there was no cell phone back then. It was 20-something years ago. There's no way to reach him. 
I'm eating my heart in a tefillah in a hotel, Friday night, everybody sing, lechad odi, and I'm eating my heart, how I messed up with this guy. Saturday night, in the middle of a speech, somebody came to the rabbi there, whispered something in his ear. You can see he got frozen, shocked. Right away, he looked around, wow, the lecture stopped in the middle. What happened? What happened, I asked him. He said, the guy you were supposed to bring to the seminar was found in his living room, dead, sitting dead on a couch with a bag ready to come to the seminar. He actually didn't lie. He prepared the things to come to the seminar. The drugs that he used on Friday, he overdosed. And he died from the drugs. So I, I was always wondering, how can it be that Hashem killed a 20 years old kid that finally actually kept his promise that he's coming to the seminar and he's going to become a Baal Tshuva. Oh, and if not, then you can do whatever you want. If he messed up, if he saw the truth and he continued to live the way he wants, Hashem can do whatever he wants with him. But why did Hashem was so in a rush to take him? He couldn't wait two or three more days? It's only 20 years old. From here you see, don't take life for granted. Just because you're 20, 30, 40, 50, think, oh, I still have a lot of time, there's no guarantee for anything. Every day should, you should look at that as the last day of your life. Prepare, prepare for the death. Why? Because if you're not prepared, when it comes, you're not going to be ready. You're not going to be ready. You're going to pay a massive price. And I had a similar case like this, that a guy that used to work in Mount Sinai car service in Brooklyn, 45 years old guy, his last name was also Mizrahi. Eli Mizrahi his name was. A guy from Onsi told me can, on Thursday, can you accept him for Shabbat? For months I've been begging him to come to Monsi for Shabbat. Will you agree that he can't? I said, listen, I wasn't ready, but if it's a, such an emergency case, tell him to come, give him my address. Friday, I see my other guest came, but he didn't come, this guy. I don't even know how to reach him. I don't have his number. He only told me a guy by this name will come for Shabbat. Sunday morning, I meet the guy in a shiva in a coffee room. What's going on? Your friend didn't come. He looks at me, what? You didn't hear what happened? He was living with a non-Jewish black woman that was his girlfriend. And when, she, when he told her that he's going to Monsi for Shabbat to the religious people and all that, I don't know, they had a fight. Whatever the fight was about, I don't know what it was about. You're not going to leave me, whatever. She took a kitchen knife and stuck it right in the middle of his heart and killed him on the spot with the bag on the way out to come to Monsi for Shabbat. If he would come to me for Shabbat, I would not let him leave my house, Mechalel Shabbat, that's it. Either I'll get him in yeshiva, or at least start being in touch with him and make him religious. Hashem couldn't wait until Sunday to give him a chance to do tshuva? Why did he have to kill him an hour before Shabbat, two hours before Shabbat, when he's on the way to Monsi? The answer is, this, this, these are the words of the Rambam, that some people got X amount of chances, and the last chance was the last one. And there will not be another one. And that's the worst punishment that a person can get from God. That he lacked 
the gate of repentance in his face. Meaning everyone is welcome to repent except you. And now this person can live another 20, 30 years, can have more children, can even get married, can make millions. It looks like everything is fine. But he's already 30 years ago locked. There is an X on him. Finished. There's no chance for him to do tshuva. So grim befanav edaltot tshuva. Those are the words of the Rambam. Noalim. Lock it. That's it. You're not welcome anymore. I'm begging. Let me give me one more chance. One last one. Too late. You had seven, eight chances. You didn't take it serious. You out. Uh, it's like in life, it's the same thing. You walk in a place. You mess up once. You mess up twice. Three, four, five, six, seven. They throw you out. Now you come. You beg. Please give me one more chance. Let me walk. I promise you I'll be a new person. You had enough chances. Out of here. I don't want to hear. Goodbye. No, don't be cruel. It's not fair. Ma, so what? What makes you think I'm not going to be better now? You had enough chances. Goodbye. Same thing in yeshiva. How many thousands of kids they threw out and their life was destroyed? They gave them chances. What do you think? The first time a kid messed up, they throw him from yeshiva? No. One more chance and another conversation and they bring his father and then they bring the mother and they bring and they, keep, and they suspend him for two, three days and, he, and then they get him back and they keep trying and trying and he keeps repeating the same nonsense until it's called Igi Umayim Ad Nafesh. Water arrived already to the place where the soul entered the body and exit, meaning the nose. Once the water reached the nose, you're dead. As long as the water goes up, right? Let's you stuck in some basement and there's a flood and you cannot get out. And the water keeps coming higher, higher. They already reach your belly. You get very nervous. I have another two, three hours. By then it's going to get to the, to the top and I'm done. Now it's by, the, by your neck. You know, you have 30 minutes. It's by your mouth. You still have 10 minutes because you can breathe from the nose. Once the water will go above your nose, you're dead. That's called the water arrive to the place where the nefesh comes in and out. And that's what it means that Hashem had enough from you. He gave you many, many chances and you messed up and that's unfortunately sometimes it's too late and there's no return. Now, you know, before I continue, I, uh, I want to read to you an article that I saw yesterday in the Israeli newspaper. There's a, pro there's a professor in Israel that his job is investigating aging. We're all getting older every day, every hour. And uh, he's investigating causes that make people become old fast and some people become old slow. Some people look, when they're 50, they look 70. Some people, when they're 70, they look 50. It's like four years difference between them. He's 50, look 70. He's 70, look 50. They both stand next to each other. The older one looks younger, healthier. His legs are better. His breathing is better. His pulse is lower. His blood pressure is better. Less wrinkles. All kinds of things that shows that he's in a better shape. The question is, what makes people live long life? That's the article. I want to read to you just a few highlights from there. 
the three reasons that extend the life of the human being. A, correct diet, meaning you eat the right things. What you eat, it's good, healthy, or bad. Second, physical activity. You're active or you sit all day on the chair and you don't move? Obviously, it's not good. It's 30, 40 years you sit in one place, you don't move. <laughs> you have no shape. Someone walks, runs, gym, that, do some sport a little bit every other day. His body is supposed to be in a better condition. And the third one, life, social life with community and support include good relationship, meaning good marriage or he has a girlfriend that lives with him, you know. Meaning that there is someone to support him in times of sadness or when he needs something or, you know, okay. Not just a, a man and a woman relationship, also a person with a community. Meaning you have a community of friends that comes over, you go to them, you're having fun together, you go on trips. That's what he's talking about. So remember three things, food, physical activity, and social lifestyle. After reviewing that for many, many years, and it's always the three reasons why a person would live long life, he has no explanation how every rabbi, every big rabbi in the Jewish world live older than 90 and many of them older than 100 years old. When? They eat the worst thing you can think of. Oily kugel, very not healthy Ashkenazi food or Sfaradi food. A lot of junk, you know, all kinds of things that are sometimes only bread. Ben Zion Abishol was eating bread with dipping it in coffee. Once in a while, tomato. No vitamins, no nothing. Nobody cared about vitamins. Many of them, they, the stipler were barely eating. Chazonish said, I don't, I don't remember ever feeling hungry. My mind was always in the Torah. Whatever they gave him, he ate. None of them care about healthy or not healthy. This kind of this, take this, take minerals, take that, none, nothing. So the last thing they care about these rabbis is the quality of the food and how healthy it is. They don't care about it and they don't follow that. Second, none of them did any physical activity all their life. Not Rav Ovadia, not Rav Kanievsky, not Rav Kaduri, not Rav Shach, not Rav Steinemann, not Rav Eliashiv, not Rav Wozner, and all of them lived to 93, 4, 97, 98, 101, 103, 107. So all his studies explode in his face when it comes to big rabbis. The conditions are not met and they live the longest, better than those who watch what they eat, better than those who watch to do daily activity, and better than those who are friends and social life, these rabbis don't care about anyone. They just care about learning. It's headache for them. The more people come, the more headache. They're not looking for anything social. Some of them, their wives passed 20, 30 years before they passed. Years, they were alone. Just alone, and nobody to support them. Rav Yashiv was alone. 
His grand grandson came once a day there to arrange, to do some shopping, to take the garbage out, if there was any garbage. My cousin, the rabbi, asked him, they brought him to my cousin to give him a blessing. And, he, and they said, Rabbi, this is a grand grandson of Rav Eliashiv. He said, your grandfa grandfather is the number one big Talmid Chacham in the world, and you come to me to ask for a blessing? He said to him, listen, I happen to be here. What, what bad can come out of it? <laughs> I'm here already. And plus, I'm now living four months by my grand-grandfather. They asked me to live with him, to make sure, because he was 101 years old. And four months I'm with him, and he did not speak to me one word. He's so deep into the Gemara, he's not even aware that I'm walking nearby, coming in, coming out. Nothing. He's in a different world. <laughs> four months, now one conversation he had with him. Why? Because his mind is in a different world. This professor, after reviewing dozens of big Talmidei Chachamim who live close to 100 years old, came to the necessary conclusion, which is Torah extend the life and the quality of life of the human being. This is a lefty professor from the university. Do you know how painful it is for someone like this to admit that in a research? <laughs> Probably his hands were shaking when he wrote the conclusion. But what, what can he do? He has to explain how everything you say does not work by this giant chachamim. None, none of the laws of nature work by them. Meaning, Torah is greater than all three. Because the people who watch the three don't live to a hundred. If they live to eighty, everybody is impressed. Oh, we had a long life. So here you go. Who said that you can ever lose from doing what Hashem wants you to do? So, let's move on, Rabotai. Let's see, learn a little bit about the concept of eating. In this parasha, parashat Shmini that we just read, we read about the concept of eating animals, which animals are pure, which ones are not pure, being careful from worms, from flies, from all kinds of things like that. Now we have to understand the concept of eating food. First, you have to know that it's written that Zeadavar Asher Tziva Hashem this is what Hashem commanded you to do. And if you will do it, the honor of Hashem will be shown to you. So what do we understand? The Ben Ishchai say that if we will do it correctly, we will see the light of the Shekhinah, of the Spirit of God. The spiritual light. The Ben Ishchai writes in his book, Od Yosef Chai, this verse has a much deeper meaning than just to see the light. There are two ways that Hashem runs the world. In a natural way and a supernatural way. Two ways. Two channels. 
like two channels of treatment. Someone is sick, the doctor gives him two options. You can do it this way or you can do it this way. You can do it with physical therapy or you can do it with the surgery and, re and rehab after that. Both may help. Two different ways. But over here we're talking about natural and spiritual. The Ben Yishchai explained. The supernatural is all miracles. Clear miracles. You see, the laws of nature does not apply to this individual. It's always unique. And the natural way is the laws of nature, like 99% of the people in the world or more. When the nation of Israel deserve, meaning they're righteous enough, they merit the supernatural supervision of Hashem. When they don't deserve it, Hashem behaves with them in a natural way, just like with the Goim, the laws of nature. Those two channels are written in a book of Shira Shirim, King Solomon. Paragraph 2, verse 9. They speak about Hashem, Dodi. Dodi is HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Mashgiach min achalonot, metzitz min acharakim. Supervise from the windows, picking and watching min acharakim from the small holes. It's like someone hiding, he comes to the window, there's a little opening. And he looks inside. When the whole window is open, you see right away through. When it's closed and you have a little space gap, you come and you watch inside. What does it mean, this verse? That Hashem sometimes looks at you like someone from a window, and sometimes he looks at you like someone who's speaking from, from a little tiny hole. Ben Ishchai explained, it says like this. The natural supervision is based on our behaving and sins, right? When Hashem works with a person in a miracle way, it's like going through the window. You can see all the supervision about that individual. The natural way is like picking from a little... A little uh, a little hole. Why? Because you can't see. The person that is actually being viewed is not aware that someone is watching him. So therefore, whatever happened, it looks to it as coincidence. He doesn't know someone is from there doing what he does. But when you see someone is watching you, you know he's in charge right now. So it says like this. If we commit sins and we don't go Hashem's way, right? What's the rest of the verse? In omed achar kotlenu. Here is the wall standing, meaning standing between you and God. There is a separation. Meaning, person does not see the light of the Shekhinah because of all his sins that create layers around his soul. You don't see the supervisor. You see what's the outcome, but you don't see the connection, how he does things for you. But when we are actually pleasing Hashem and we listen to him and he's satisfied from us, it's obvious for us that everything that we need right the way he arranged for us. One miracle after the other. 
The Ben Ishchai continue. If you want to get the rest of the verse, Ve'irai lechem kvod Hashem, you want to see the light of Hashem, the honor of Hashem, meaning that Hashem is supervising you with the miracle, check the beginning of the verse. Ze ha'davar asher tziva Hashem ta'asu. Do exactly as Hashem said, with, not, with no changes, 100% exact, without compromises, without personal uh, calculation. What's in it for me? What will I gain? What will I lose? How difficult it may be? None of that. If you will not be able to overcome all this nonsense... You won't be able to see the miracles and the supervision of Hashem. Rav Yudha Tzadka Zatzal, the head of Yeshivat Porat Yosef, he say, based on that, we understand the contradiction between two statements of Chazal, our sages in the Gemara. The Gemara in Masechet Beitza, page 15, the Gemara say, Amar Rabbi Yochanan, in the name of Rabbi Elazar Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Yochanan, brings a quote from the name, from Rabbi Elazar, the son of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. And what does it say? Amar lahem HaKadosh Baruch Hu Yisrael. Hashem said to the nation of Israel, Banai, my children, Levu alai vekatshu kedushat hayom. You can go and borrow, right? And count on me. If you don't have enough things for Shabbat, you need food, you need meat, you need fish, you need clothes for Shabbat. Shabbat could be expensive if you don't have anything. You don't have? Borrow. What about paying back? Count on me. I will pay for it. Whatever you need, borrow. Aminu bi vani porea. Have faith in me and I will pay what you borrow. From here we learn that if you don't have enough fancy things for Shabbat, whatever you need for the Shabbat table to make it respectable, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is your guarantor. Go and borrow and count on me to pay it. On the other hand, the same Chazal, the same sages, in Masechet Shabbat, page 118, they say the exact opposite. You don't have enough food for Shabbat or fancy things for Shabbat. Make your Shabbat an ordinary, simple day. What do you eat during the week? Sandwich with the... With cold cuts, or I don't know, with cheese, omelette, whatever, that's what you eat. Bread with nothing, eat bread with nothing. Water, drink water. You don't have good wine, get cheap wine. You don't have cheap wine, get grape juice. You don't have grape juice, do kiddush on the bread. Make Shabbat a regular, ordinary, simple day, and do not... Count on the people to give you what you need. Meaning, don't go to people, don't borrow, don't ask for donations. So now we have two statements that one contradict the other. The question is, if we see right away that it's a contradiction. The question is, how the Chachamim, one time they say right, and one time they say the opposite, left. This is the answer. The answer is, someone who lives his life in the path of this is what Hashem commanded us, we should do. Everything he does is for the sake of heaven. Hashem say, you don't have to worry. Just like I perform miracles for you every day, 
Baro for Shabbat and count on me. There will be one more miracle out of millions. You see it every day. You have nothing to worry about. But someone who does not live like that, meaning Shabbat for him is Shabbatcha. He doesn't do for the sake of heaven. He does it for the sake of his stomach. To sleep good, to eat good, to have fun, you know, to meet friends, but not really the holiness of Shabbat. For someone like that, Hashem says, if you don't have enough, make Shabbat an ordinary day. So what do we see, Rabotai? Very interesting. If you have faith in me, you count on me in everything you do. You don't have fear. Right now you got stuck one Shabbat, I'm testing you, you don't have anything? No problem. What are you going to do? Go borrow and count on my miracle. I allow you. Why? Because you do it all year round. It's not a contradiction. You live by counting on miracles. No problem. Why? Because you have 100% trust in me. There are a few rabbis like this in our generation. Chazonish was like this. Rav Moshe Malka was like this. They didn't know what fear is when it comes to Parnassa. One, uh, we had one guy in our yeshiva, Leo Edri. I told this story a few years ago, if you remember. Leo Edri, uh, this story worth a billion dollars. If you don't remember it, it's better to hear it again. Leo Edri was only two years old, Baal Tshuva, two years. That's it, in yeshiva in Monsi, the Baal Tshuva. But he learned very good emunah, confidence in Hashem, confidence in Hashem, confidence in Hashem until he actually lived like the books, not just read, it became him. So one time, he walked in the street and he doesn't have a lot of money by him. Everything he had was a hundred dollars to his name. He learns in yeshiva, young guy. One person came to him and told him that he's in a serious problem and he needs money immediately if he can help him out. He took the hundred dollar, the last hundred dollar to his name and gave it to this person. Here, that's all I have. I will give you more, but that's all I have. He told me, I walked one block by the gas station on Main Street. I look at the floor, I found a hundred dollars. He gave the last hundred dollar to the guy. A minute later, I found a hundred dollar on the store. Immediately, Hashem gave it back to him. That's besides the reward that he's going to get. Tov, but that's not the, the main story. That's just like an appetizer. Now comes the real meal. One time, his parents saw he cannot come to Israel. He, he, you know, he stayed here for more than six months. If he leaves, he cannot come back. So they decided to come visit him here in Monsi. They found him a place. They came. His parents are religious light, what we call the Tilonim. You know, keep Shabbat, you know, eat kosher, but not Bnei Torah, Haredim, you know, that he liked. They were here two or three weeks, I don't remember exactly. Now tomorrow morning is their flight. They have to leave Monsi at 5 a.m. to go to JFK, and I don't have to tell you the traffic in the morning once you get to Van Week. And then until you get on the flight, I don't know, the flight maybe was 9, 10, whatever. So his father said to him, Leo, we have four big suitcases. 
How are we going to take it tomorrow to the airport? Who's going to take us? You have uh, any arrangement? He said to his father, Abba, why always worry? Hashem knows we need to get to the airport. It will help us out. This was in the evening, the evening before. There's no car, no nothing. But his father said to him, I don't ask just for a car. We need a minivan. It's your mother and myself and you, plus four big suitcases. It's not going to fit in a, in a regular car. You need a minivan. Baba, go to sleep. Five o'clock, we would leave. Relax. He said to me, I had no idea what to do. Where will I find a minivan now? It's night. Who is going to give me a minivan? Ma, people just give like this, take the car. I said to Hashem, you know what we need? I'm counting on you, you run the world. He gets up in the morning, five o'clock in the morning, he comes to the mikveh in yeshiva. Five o'clock in the morning. He's in the mikveh, in ten minutes his father is waiting. He's going to have to tell his father that he doesn't know how to get to the, to the airport. He's no, no, no idea. But he knows Hashem runs the world. That's, how, that's the level he reached at that time. He's, he's in a mikveh, where is my salvation going to come from? Who came in? A person named Gilad. He's a rabbi today in the, in the north of Israel, this Gilad. He was learning in yeshiva at that time. This Gilad is also a person with a lot of emuna. He buys and sells cars and makes a living. But how does he buy the car? Not like what you think. There is an auction in Pennsylvania, in Mannheim. It's probably three hours or four hours to get there and four hours to come back and be there another three, four hours to examine the car and, you know, all these things. It's all day. He never goes to the auction. He goes online and he says, I don't know which car is good, which car is bad. Some cars are great, some cars are finished. You don't know. I'm going to pick this car and you help me that it's going to be a good car, they will deliver it. I pay them $300, the tow truck brings it to Monsi, and I put a sign for sale. I put it on one of the main roads, and that's how he makes a living. So every week he buys cars online, without seeing the physical car, without opening the hood, none of it. Buy, let's say 5000 get it, sell it 7000 That's it, like this. That's how he lives. The day before Lior needs to go to the airport, now he comes to them in the morning, he comes to the mikveh. Good morning, Lior. Good morning, Gilad. What's up? Do you have any idea where I can get a minivan? I have to take my parents now to the airport. Now? 5 a.m.? Yes. You're lucky. Yesterday I had a minivan was shipped to me from the auction. There's a dealer plate on it. Here is the key. <laughs> in a mikveh, everyone dark, everyone sleep. Two tzaddikim meets in a mikveh. This is one million percent true the story. One million percent. I spoke to both of them. The details are hundred percent. He gives them the key. This is how a person with a munah lives, because he already get used to it, and Hashem always does to him what he needs. He doesn't worry about it. But what do you think? It's easy to get to this level. Ah. It's not so simple. It's a lot of work. Until there is really no more fear. Let me read to you the words of the Ben Ishrai here. 
לבין איש חי סזרק דיס. ולא תטמאו את נפשותיכם. Do not make your souls impure. בכל אשר עץ הרומס על הארץ. Make sure, make sure you don't eat worms. Snakes, leopards, everything that crawl on the floor. It's not kosher. Chinese, they eat them. They eat them when they're alive, like this. They move in a cup. They eat the worms. That's their tradition. Other goyim, they don't eat worms. But when they eat leathers or broccoli or other things, it's full of worms. Or fish, that it's not so fresh. So the goyim eats a lot of worms, but not intentionally. But Chinese and some other oriental people, they actually buy it in a market, live, with cockroaches, and they eat them like this. I saw it in my own eyes. I wouldn't tell you if I didn't see it. A person comes with a bicycle, with a barrel, full of all kinds of uh, things that crawl. He fills up a cup, he pays him the money, and right there, he puts them in the mouth, and you see all the cockroaches and the worms are crawling all over his lips. That's it. And then a Jew that does it, every, every worm is five scenes from the Torah. And if it's fly, an extra one, an extra sin. Sometimes you can eat uh, the Caesar salad and you can have a hundred worms there or more. Small, tiny. You can see them. If you saw it in the light, in the sun, you would see them. Small. If you put the letters on a white sheet, you come two hours later, you see a lot of green dots. You take a magnifying glass, you see how they crawl. On one leaf, sometimes you can have a lot of them, like 20, 30 worms. If you make a whole salad, you can eat 200 worms. Each one of them is five scenes from the Torah. Thousand scenes in one Caesar salad. Just to give you an idea. So the Torah says, Ki ani Hashem, I'm your God, amaletchem eretz Mitzrayim. He doesn't say I took you out of Mitzrayim in this verse. Change the language. Amaleotchem eretz Mitzrayim. I elevated you from, the, from Egypt. What does it mean I elevated you? In Egypt you were like the Goim. You didn't have the Torah yet. The Goim can eat worms, no problem. It's not a sin for them. You can eat worms. As long as they're dead. If they're still alive, it's a sin even for the goyim. Ever minachai, they're not allowed. But you, the Jews, not allowed to eat these things from now on. I elevated you spiritually. Why? All the food in the world has reincarnations in it. Almost all of it. Sometimes full soul are reincarnated in those animals. Sometimes sparks there are sparks that goes in. And you, the holy nation, has the ability to separate between the good spirituality of the food to the bad who goes to the waste. There are ways to do it. Let's learn. In the, in the Gemara in Masechet Baba Metziah, page, uh, 60, page uh, 61, this is what the Gemara says. God said, 
if I took the nation of Israel out of Egypt just for them, that I won't eat worms and all kinds of flies and stuff like that, there was already enough. Everything is extra. What's so important about this? Right? The Gemara, we have to understand the Gemara. The Gemara say, for that alone it was worth it for me to take you out of Egypt. The Chida that lives uh, 300 years ago in Morocco, in his book Nachal Sorek, he talks about the verse, those who eat pork and worms and rats. Mice Okay. Obviously he's not talking about the Jews. This is Isaiah 66, verse 17. The Midrash say, Eliyahu, Elijah, came to Rabbi Nehorai. He asked him, why did Hashem made worms? Who needs them in the world? It's a big headache. Everything needs to be clean, have to be viewed, checked, washed. Why, what's the purpose of worms? The world would be a much better place without them, no? How do they help us? Amarlo, Eliyahu say, they, are, they, are, they were created for a purpose. Once the public commits sins, right, he looks into them and thinks, what's those worms that have no need? I keep them alive. Nobody needs them. Who needs worms? Those who are necessary for the world, it's needless to say that it's worth it for me to keep them for the time being. Translation. You have a lot of uh, Jews committing sins daily, making Hashem very angry. Why he doesn't kill all of them? According to the Torah, almost all of them deserve execution. They're not keeping Shabbat. They're committing all kinds of crimes that the Torah gives death penalty. And they live 10 years, 30, 40, 50 years. How come? The answer is Kalvachomer. When the Satan comes to Hashem and says, How do you keep these wicked people still alive? How, what do you need them? Look at the only bad they do to the world. There's not one good thing about them. Hashem answers, Find me anything that is better about the worms. How they contribute to the world. What's special about them? The world needs them. How they benefit the world. And I keep them around. These Jews have something they benefit the world for. Maybe once in a while they give donation. Maybe here and there they kiss a mezuzah. Maybe they have a mezuzah in their door. Maybe they eat matzot in Lela Seder. Mitzvah Tachilat Matzah. Maybe they put filin every once in a while. Even the most wicked Jews here and there, they commit some mitzvot. So that's like a kalva homer, needless to say. What else do we learn from here? One king, one king came and asked the Jews, I, I heard the law of your Torah, that when the worm is in the fruit, when the worm is in the fruit, if the worm came out of the fruit and then went back to the hole, you cannot eat the worm. If it was an integral part of it, it's in it. You eat it. There's no way to check it. You ate it. It's not a sin. 
That's why when you eat food, you have to check if there's holes. If there's holes in it, you know there's worms in it. Holes do not, tiny holes in the food don't come from the air. They mean the worms are digging inside the tunnel. Maybe right now there's no worm there, but it's also possible there is a worm. I once saw a cherry. Cherry, who would think to check in a cherry? Well, in the last second I saw a hole in a cherry. Hole! I split the cherry open and I saw the worm alive inside by the pit. Pretty big worm. So what do you see? Fruits also have worms. So the king asked the Jews, what is the difference? Your Torah said that the worms contaminate the soul. What is the difference if the worm is still inside the fruit or, the, or it came out on the land? If it came out of the land, you're not allowed to eat it because the Torah says that crawl on the floor. And this worm was growing inside the foot. It never crawled on the floor. Who cares if there is a living worm right now inside the date in a palm tree? You open the date, you see a worm inside. When it's connected to the tree, it's still not forbidden. If it came out, it's already a sin to eat it. I don't understand your religion, the king, the goy say. Doesn't make any sense. What would you answer him? Why, why Hashem say only if it came out, it became forbidden? Who cares? Warm is a warm. It's a good question, the goy ask. No, what answer would you give? He said to him, the rabbi, give me a spoon, please. The king brought a spoon. He said, spit in a spoon. He spit on a spoon, you know, all this saliva on a spoon. He said, now please eat it. <laughs> Crazy, you can't eat this. Why? It's your saliva. Eat it. You can't look at it. <laughs> Take it away. I'm dying. Well, what's the difference? When he was inside you, you're eating it, you're swallowing it every day, non-stop. Never discuss you. Now when it came out, and you look at it, and it's so disgusting, and now you want to put it back in, you don't allow. Good answer, no? Same thing with warm. Come, you came out, you see them now. It's disgusting. The mind already knows you're eating a warm. It's terrible. Tov. Now, we have to understand why they are forbidden. Let's start with that. The goyim are not forbidden. They can eat dead worms and flies and all of that in their food. A doctor came to check the, the patient. When he finished his exam, he said to the patient, from now on, do not eat this particular food and don't drink this particular drink. And a different patient came in, and the doctor said to him, you can eat, they both have the same disease. You can eat whatever you like. The first patient that he was just forbidden, don't eat this, don't eat that, is looking at the same doctor, telling someone that has the same disease, you eat whatever you like, no problem. Right away, ask a question. He asked, excuse me, doctor, what's the difference between guy, this guy and me? Me, don't eat this, don't eat that, be careful from this, be careful from that. To him, eat whatever you want. Why is it? 
The answer is because you is still not a lost case. You can still get saved. That's why I say stay away from sugar, stay away from meat, stay away from this, stay away from that. He is already a lost case. Another few days and he's dead. Since he's going to die anyway, let him at least enjoy. Eat some candy, eat some other things. It's not going to make any difference anymore. Sometimes when you forbid things, that means the person is not a lost case. You can still help him. If you allow him everything, that means it's a lost case. Same thing with a parent. If a parent restricts his kids with certain things, keeps checking on them, keep watching what they do, surprising them, following them, try to listen to what they say on the phone, check whatever they leave, or I don't know, in the internet, where they go and they don't go. And then he has one son, he doesn't care about him anymore. He doesn't check his computer. Computer is right there on the bed. He doesn't even go in. He doesn't try to listen to what he says. He doesn't tell him, eat kosher, don't eat kosher, keep Shabbat, don't keep Shabbat, come here, come early, don't stay late outside, nothing. The other kids, foolish kids, may think, wow, he's so lucky. Look at us, don't do this, don't do that, be careful from this, give me your phone, you can use the bike. Whoa, with us it's so tough, and with him, do whatever you like. Smart kid, understand it's the exact opposite. With him, is a lost case already. He wiped him out. He doesn't have any hope for him. That's why for him, he doesn't even uh, bother to follow him. What is he, he going to help? He already, in his mind, gave up on him. All of you guys, I didn't give up on you. I'm trying to save you before you're going to be like him. That's why with you, I give you restrictions. That's the difference between the nation of Israel to the rest of the world. The rest of the world, eat what you want. There's no restriction. Almost not, whatever you like, you do. You, the children of Israel, you can benefit the world very much. So you have to live with discipline, and there are many things that you will not allow to, to, to do. Now let's learn what's the secret of kosher food, eating kosher or not eating kosher, spiritually. So the answer is, Rabotai, is uh, in every food there is a divine spark. In all animals there is divine spark. Once a person eats the meat or the fish in the way Hashem allowed it, with slaughtering and whatever the requirements are, the spark goes into the body. And the nature of that animal will make an impact on a person. There are a few levels of uh, filtering. First, it goes into the stomach, and the stomach begins to separate. There are few different filters until the best of the spirituality of that animal, the lamb or whatever, the cow, that divine spark, after it was separated from all the bed of that animal, goes into the heart, the heart also cleaning it more, the kidneys, all these, these steps, cleaning it and cleaning it and cleaning it spiritually. 
until it shoots it to the brain. That's where the soul is. Once it gets to the brain, it has to be only the divine part of that animal. If you eat not kosher, then dirt goes with it into the brain and contaminate the soul. That's what it says, take out the Aleph of Hashem. When you eat not kosher, you remove God from you. What does it become? You become dumb. You cannot tell the difference between holy and not, right and wrong, kosher, not kosher, righteous, wicked. You can't tell the difference. You become a lefty. You become Bernie Sanders. You vote for people like Bernie Sanders. Why? Right? By you, right is wrong, wrong is right. Positive is negative, negative is positive. Righteous for you is wicked, wicked for you is righteous. Modest for you is not modest, it's ugly. Not modest for you is pretty. Everything by you is the opposite of Hashem. Why? Because it's not kosher. Let me read to you unbelievable things you're going to learn to in the next few minutes before we finish. Let me read it to you. Check the history of the world. Every nation in the world, check their history. Mass pogroms, murders, holocaust, and the nature, the culture of all those countries is mass, ama massive amount of murders. Genghis Khan and Mongoloids and the Japanese chopping heads and the Nazis and the Arabs and so many countries. So the Russian, look at the Russian. There's no country in the world that was involved more than war and killing like the Russians. The Russians were involved in every, almost every war. It's, more, it's unbelievable. Every war that was in the world in the last thousand years, the Russians were there. The amount of killing that this nation did is beyond what you can understand. Look at the Germans, the Amalek, look at the Arabs, look at the Japanese. Look in China what they do to people. Look in Iran. The only nation that never ever murder anyone, do not want to murder anyone until 50, 60 years ago, are the Jewish people. Why do I say until 50, 60 years ago? Because until, because until 50, 60 years ago, almost all the Jewish people in the world for thousands of years ate only kosher. Even the non-religious Jews. When we grew up, we were not religious. No one would dare to touch pork. No one would dare to eat meat and cheese together. One out of a thousand maybe did. All Jews in the world throughout the generation only ate kosher food, meaning lamb, goats, surrendering animals. No murderers animals. No animals that are uh, pred predators. No predators. We never ate snakes. We never ate cats that, that murder rats. We never killed dogs that murder cats. We never killed tigers or all kinds of other animals who murder others. We don't eat eagles. We don't eat hawks. We don't eat all these murderers, predators. We're not allowed to touch them. The Torah forbid the Jews from eating them. That's why the Jewish people never been an aggressive nation. They never went to genocide another nation or to do a holocaust to another nation until came the Zionist, communist, wicked 
Jews, that almost all of them are Erev Rav, and they started to eat whatever you can imagine. And from then on, they became just like the Goim. Wars and fighting and shooting. But until then, there was no such thing. Self-defense, yes. But to initiate a war, to go kill people? For what? It was very difficult. So the Jewish people are very surrendering. Look at the Holocaust. They were waiting online to be killed. Nobody did anything. Try to put a thousand Arabs on the line to a gas chamber. See what's going to happen to you. Let the Germans take now the Turks. You know, they hate them very much because Germany is full of Turkish people. Let the Germans try to put a thousand Turks on the line to a gas chamber. See what's going to happen. The whole Berlin will go on fire. There will be now one soldier stayed alive. We'll die, we'll take you with, you, with us. Only the Jews waited online. Give us your, your glasses here. Give us your shoes here. Give us your watch here. They have piles. Nobody makes a beep. Going into the gas and get choked. Why? Everybody was eating kosher. Once out of a, one out of a thousand didn't kosher. Everyone did not have the urge to kill or to be violent. It was never the, ne, never the way of the Jews. That's why the Torah says, The hands are the hands of Esav, and the voice is the voice of Jacob. The Jews are great with the spiritual particles, meaning they speak, the learning Torah, praying. It was never, we were never known in history as a nation who was aggressive and knows how to fight and all kinds of things. Let me give you a few more examples how the operation works. For the next time, if God forbid you consider to eat something in a kosher, you think a million times. Rashi writes, Venitam tembaem, if you make the land impure, I will make you impure in the next world. Meaning not kosher. You ate not kosher, you will be not kosher in the next world. The warning is, everything you eat that is forbidden from the Torah will give you a status of a not pure person. Meaning you eat non-pure food, you become impure. You eat pure food, you become pure. Let's give an example. The food that you put in your mouth, right? Food that is forbidden, there is no holy sparks in it. Pork, horse, donkey, camel monkeys, and snakes, none of that has anything holy in it because the Torah called that impure animals. Only the pure animals have the divine sparks in it. So there is no Holy Spirit into this food. If you eat from it, you become impure. If you make yourself impure by eating that kosher food, they make your neshama impure from heaven. Mida keneged mida. When you take the Aleph out of Nitmetem Baem, you take out the Aleph, it becomes Nitamtem, you become dumb. Aleph is obviously Hashem, Elohim. So you take it out, all the holiness of you is gone. So this is the second example. The third, it's written in the Torah, Anshe Kodesh Tiyunli. You have to be holy people for me. If you see a dead animal in a field, do not eat it. 
לכלב תשליכון אותו, give it to the dogs, let the dogs eat it, that's food of dogs, it's not food of Jewish people, even the Arabs don't eat dead animal because of this verse, they saw that God said to the Jews not to eat dead animals, you know almost all the non-kosher food you eat today in McDonald's or in everywhere else, do you know how, it's, how these animals are killed? By electrocuting. They electrocute them. They put them on metal floor, raise the voltage to 500, and what happened? They all die, and then it takes hours until they take off the skin, they take the inside uh, stomach and everything, and what happened in the end? By the time they get the food and chop it and clean it and remove the head and the skin and all the dirt and begin to wash it, it's too late because it was marinated in urine and in blood. All the meat is very juicy from urine because the stomach of the cow is has buckets of urines and buckets of blood. Tons of liquid. Because the, when you slaughter, you open right away and you put massive salt, thick salt, take all the liquid out. Observe it and take it out. When you electrocute the animals, like almost all the meat here in America, all the blood of the animal stays inside the organs. And when you eat it, all the negative of those animals goes into you and turn you into an animal. That's why it's very, very crucial not to eat not kosher food. Because it's affecting your soul in such a way that for sure you will be wicked. Even if you want to be righteous, you won't be able to. So let me read it to you. The Torah says, Every animal that was dead already before slaughtering, you're not allowed to eat it. Throw it to the dogs. Exodus 22. Rashi said, if you only, you have to separate yourself from all these dead animals and all these trefot. If you don't, you don't belong to me. You want to be my children? You want to be my holy representative? You have to eat the way I told you to eat. Don't eat dead animals, it will contaminate your soul and turn you into not holy. Uh, we have an example of Moshe Rabbeinu. When Moshe Rabbeinu was born, he was a baby, the Paros say to kill all babies, right? Because they knew that the Savior of Israel is about to be born. They, was looking at, they were looking at the stars. Batya found him, she brought him into the palace. She tried to find a woman to nurse him. Every Goya that came, Moshe refused to eat milk from her. Every non-Jew that came, not Hebrew, that came, Moshe refused to eat. When was he eating from? Only when they brought him his own mother. They paid her money to nurse him. How a baby that is a few days old refused to eat from the Goyot. Why? This is a holy mouth that will speak to God. He cannot have milk from any woman that is not eating kosher food. Now I want to ask you a question. How do you know the Jews were eating kosher food? In Auschwitz you had kosher food? In Egypt it was like Auschwitz. What do you think? You can choose in a menu? Maybe you press on the iPad in a restaurant. I want this and I want that. What do you think? In Egypt the Egyptians say, hey Yosef. How would you like your salmon or tuna? How do you like your meat? Bet Yosef, Oglat, you Ashkenazi, you Sfaradi, what would you like? 
What did they eat? Vegetarian things. Fish, it's kosher. Vegetable, fruit, rice, it's all kosher. That's it. I want you to know in the world, until Noah, no one was allowed to eat meat. Because eating meat is for the purpose of removing the holy sparks out of it, which is all reincarnations and holy sparks. Until Noah, no one in the world has the ability to remove those sparks. Only from Noah there was a righteous person, the Torah says from now on you're allowed to eat meat. 1,500 years, no one was allowed to eat meat. There's nobody eating meat in the world until from Adam to Noah, no one was eating meat. So, the best example is Moshe refusing to eat. Now, I want to ask you a question. A non-Jewish woman, she has milk. When she wants to give milk to the baby, it looks exactly the same milk. Look at the milk of a Jew, put it in a cup, taste it, taste whatever it tastes like. Taste the Goya, taste the same. Maybe there is some difference on the taste, depending if they eat spicy food or not, or carry uh, spices. It may be making the, or garlic too much. Maybe the baby doesn't want to eat because it's not as tasty as usual. But where do you see a difference between a Jewish milk woman that is nursing to a non-Jewish woman? The answer is you don't see any difference in the physical aspect. No difference. Same thing, you don't see a difference in the meat that you see on a plate that is kosher and the meat of the goy that it's not kosher. We're not talking physical difference here. We're talking spiritual difference. How the milk become milk? It created from the blood. After all the separations of the food, kosher, not kosher, separation, 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 what's left is superb. That's what goes into the to the, to the nursing of the woman, and she's able to give the baby kosher milk. The goya that eat porks and eat all kinds of other things, the blood that is created by her is not spiritually kosher, because it was made, the blood was made from things that God said that are impure. So if you look at the blood, it looks the same, but one is pure and one is impure. Just like you see Rav Chaim Kanievsky, 94 years of purity and holiness, and I will bring you an Indian Sikh who bowed down to the cow or whatever you want to say, and all kinds of strange things he does, idol worshipping. He also has a beard. If you give him a black hat and put both of them one next to each other, many of them won't see the difference. You need spiritual eyes to see right away who is righteous and who is wicked, but not, most people cannot see. The stipler, the father of Avraham Kanievsky, religious people used to walk into his room, they all look, beard, hats. Some of them he began to scream, get him out of the room, out, quickly! In front of everyone, don't let him in! He, he looked at the forehead of a person and he knew right away all his actions. Some people have spiritual eyes. Rav Ben Sion Abba Shaul had spiritual eyes. There was a case, there was one woman, Rabbanit, she used to bring him secular women that became religious. After they became religious, she used to bring them together bracha from Rav Ben Sion. One time she brought a woman, she was pregnant. When she came by the door, Rav Ben-Zion was a very humble person, very humble. He was very, very sensitive, never to hurt a human being. 
very sensitive. He said to the Rabbanit, out, machutza, לא להכניס אותה. Don't let her in. The woman was shocked. Well, it never happened before. Every woman that I brought, he let me bring her in. He didn't want her in. The woman said, why, why the rabbi doesn't want to let me in? After an hour, this, after the woman left, the rabbinate came to Rabbi Benzion. Rabbi, it was very embarrassing. What happened? He said, I'm sorry, I could not let her in. Why? The baby in her stomach is a mamzer. It's not from her husband. Can't give a bracha to a woman like this. He actually looked at that woman and he knew that a baby in her stomach is a mamzer. It's not her, it's not her husband's son. How many people in the world can do such thing? How do you know for sure he knew? Because if he didn't know, he lost his olam haba right there. To insult a person in public like this, get out and tell people that the baby is a mamzer, not being one million percent sure, you can lose your olam haba in a minute. Lost his share to the world to come, someone who... So if it happened, same thing with the star player when he threw people out, then you knew they had Ruach HaKodesh 100% without a doubt. Otherwise, they will never dare to take such a risk to do such a horrible sin. Who would, would ever dare such thing? We, the ordinary people, would think a million times before we insult a person in public like this. Right? So if they already did it, then you know they know 100% that there's a serious criminal and want them next to them. Which according to Halakha, you're not supposed to stand next to these kind of criminals. Next thing. Let's conclude. When a person put non-kosher food into his system, into his mouth, which goes to the stomach, the Gemara explained that when you eat forbidden food, the Ruach HaKodesh does not enter you, and an impure spirit goes into you, right? So uh, what happened is, is that all these things that we said before, right, I just found it. So let's see, let's read the words of the of the Baalatanya. Baalatanya was about two hundred and a little bit more than two hundred years ago. He actually started Chabad. The movement of Chabad starts with the book of Baalatanya. It was the first Admor out of seven. The last Lubavitch Rebbe was the seventh one. And since then, they, they don't nominate another Rebbe because they believe that the tradition should have been only seven and not more. That's why for about 30-something years, they don't have a Rebbe. They have many different rabbis in the world, but they don't have an Admor like it used to be. This was the first one, Baalatanya. He explained in his book the word Asur in Lashon HaKodesh. You say, Asur Lecholetze. You're not allowed to eat it. Asur, it it's also prisoner. Someone who is in jail, you call him Asur. He's Asur, he's Asir. 
Or what does it mean? So it says like this. When you eat kosher food, right, there is inside that kosher food a spark that is locked there, like a prisoner. Ben Ishchai says, Mina behemot atmeot, the non-kosher animals, we do not have the ability to remove the good out of the bed. Why? Because there's so much bed there, we don't have the holiness to do such thing. That's why we're not allowed to eat them. But not only you, know, you, cannot, you cannot purify the, the good out of the bed by them, the bed of them will contaminate you and destroy you spiritually. Right? The Ben Ishchai says someone that eats forbidden food become himself a part of the impurity of the world. Right? Because all the negative that the Torah won from, he becomes a part of it. When a person eats, the blood, in, before it becomes a blood, is crushed food in his stomach, right? You eat it with your, with your teeth, you break it, you grind it, then you swallow pieces of food, bread, meat, all the things that are going into your stomach. After that, the stomach begins to separate, right? And... After all the separations of the stomach and the kidney and the heart and all of and the liver and all of that, the pure blood that remained from all after all the separation and the waste that goes to the bathroom goes into the brain. What's in the brain? The sechel, the ability to think, the ability to understand correctly, the sharpness of your brain, the holiness of your soul. All of that is affected by the blood, right? When you learn Torah, you're able to receive all the holiness of the Torah to remain in you. When you learn about Midot and Musar and confidence in Hashem, you have connection with Hashem, right? So our entire spiritual world is depend on our Sechel, that our knowledge, our wisdom, our ability to understand what's right and wrong, what's good, what's bad. So once the food that goes into our body is impure, it destroyed the system completely, because there's no way to separate good and bad there. Once you have this, you basically destroyed your neshama completely. The blood goes into the brain. And after that goes into the it goes into the heart, and then after that goes into the brain and become the dot of the human being. Right? So the food goes to the stomach, get digested, then some of it goes to the bathroom as a waste. What's left is now much more pure. Some of it is being separated from the body in a urine. Also comes out. The food continues journey. He, some of it is being separated in a sweat. When a person's sweating, the, the bed out of the food also goes out of his sweat. Next step, some of the dirt goes out in the nail and in the hair, which is garbage. Nails and hair is garbage. You don't need it for living. That's why you cut it and throw it to the garbage. You throw the nails, you cut the hair, you throw it. So that's, a, that's the fourth screening. You have the waste, the urine, the sweat, 
the hair and the nails. This is all separation of the, of the holy from the not holy. Everything that comes out from the body, that's the, the spiritual negative things. What's left is the spiritual spark, the divine spark. After the hair and the nails, there's some left. What happened from that? It becomes the blood. It goes into the liver. And after the liver, there is another screening in the splint. One more screening. So that's the sixth one already. And then this blood goes as a clean blood into the heart. By now, it's the last screening. Seven different screenings. Everything by Hashem is seven. So the food that, we go, that goes into our body goes to seven steps of separation. Every step separate the bed and more bed and more bed and more thin bed and bed until it goes into the heart. That's the final screening. And then it goes right into the brain. And that's where the soul receives the blood. From this, you become who you are. Now let's conclude. Time ran out perfectly. Amash, I made it. So, the conclusion. The conclusion. Sometimes you are wondering. You have a simple Jew. Not educated. Did not even finish 12th grade. Selling vegetables in a market in Israel. Has big yamaka, beard. Every question you ask him about what's right and what's wrong, he understands. Even though he's not educated. Nothing. You ask him, who is better? Bernie Sandel or the rabbi that teach Torah? He knows what's right, what's wrong. Trump or Hillary? He knows. He knows everything. Go to the professor from the university. All kinds of degrees in, degrees in math. Physic, brilliant head, mathematician, famous. Every answer he will give you is the opposite of the truth. What's right, what's wrong? What's right? Men marry women or men marry men? Men marry women, he will put wrong. Men marry men, he will put right. Eating cows or eating dogs? He would write, eat dogs. Eating worms or not eating worms? Why not? Eat worms. Everything by him will be the opposite. But when? Only when it's spiritual questions. Ask him about math, he will give you the best answers. Brilliant. Ask him about geometry, physics, this, everything is perfect. He knows everything. Ask him about what God loves and what God hates, he will switch between them constantly. Everything Hashem hates for him is what Hashem loves. I give you an example. When a Jewish woman, Metal, married Mahmoud in Israel 10 years ago, they published an invitation. In Rishon Lezion, there is a wedding. Metal and Mahmoud. Intermarriage, assimilation against the Torah. They published, a, that was the first time that a couple that are, uh, you know, assimilated, publishing an invitation with no shame, and it's all over Facebook. Someone sent it to me. I put it on my Facebook page. 
I wrote, there is no more shame. In the old days, people at least used to be ashamed. They would hide it. Now, no shame. And they also publish it like this, like it's nothing wrong. They shut my Facebook page for about a month. The entire month of Eluli was off. One day after Rosh Hashanah, I got reopened. Nobody knows how, because you know, there's no way to speak to them. There's no customer service. You can talk to the wall. There's such evil people, these lefties, that every one of these social media, they make sure that you have no way to reach them. There's no phone call, there's no customer service. You can send 100 emails, you don't get any reply. They just shut you and that's it. But surprisingly, after Rosh Hashanah, the page came back. So, one of the people, when I published that invitation, before they shut the page, one person in Israel sent me a, a, a message. Rabbi, shame on you. I'm surprised at you. Someone like you as a rabbi should have been the first one to call them and congratulate them. This is a person who went to school in Israel. Everything that the Torah say it's forbidden, by them it looks like a mitzvah. Just like the university rabbis over here. Check what they eat, see that they don't eat kosher. You cannot rely on them, they cannot eat in their house. Doesn't matter where he has black hat, not, he cannot rely on these people. You see their ideology. Do you know that almost all the university rabbis are Democrats? Can you believe it? Some of them are Bernie Sanders supporters. And you see them with black hats. You will never believe that someone like this is anti-Trump and is pro-Hillary. Or pro-Sleepy Joe. They admire the Democrats. They are pro-gay marriage. They have no problem with what the Democrats do. They have no problem murdering babies. They have no problem destroying this country for Ukraine. What do you have to do with Ukraine? Take care of your own people. A barrel of oil, $130, people are dying here. They can't hit their house in the winter. Soon there's going to be riots, there's going to be thousands of dead people. What do you care about Ukraine? That you're going out of your way to protect them. It's not the American job. Let them deal with their own problems. You're the sheriff of the world. If it did not affect you, fine. But your people are dying. This country is going down the drain in the last month. Everything became tripled. This country is being destroyed. It will take 200 years to fix the damage. Ukraine is going to say thank you to you. Nothing. What do they think? They care about America? If you would be under a war, Ukraine will care to help you? Bichlal? They murdered one and a half million Jews over there in the most cruel possible way. That's not exactly saints over there. So many of them have swastika tattoos and shave head and they are 100% Nazis. Those who want to run, they run. They run to European countries. They accepted them. What are you so worried? Now you put a ban on a Russian oil. What is it going to do to us? We're going to have to pay $2,000 a month electric. Gas. Soon it's going to be air-conditioned season. You know how much electric you're going to have? How do they make electric? They need oil. They, they make the, the Russian oil. Now in Europe, 
they're going to pay three or four times more. They're already paying four times more on gas. What's going to happen? Because they want to teach the Russian less a lesson, everyone in the world will suffer. Do you really think the Russian care? What do you think is going to happen? The Russian will invade places and steal what they have. Steal the money from their bank, steal their diamonds, steal everything. They're going to do it by power. What do you think? They're going to wait for your permission? If Putin wants, he's going to say no more gas to Europe tomorrow morning. They're all going to die there. You cannot turn the factory on. You cannot make machines work. You cannot drive cars. All gas stations will be closed. People will not be able to put heat. It will, be, it will destroy Europe. I don't know why they didn't do it. You can sell gas to China. There's plenty of customers, don't worry. Sell China alone, two billion people. They buy gas from him. To Iran, to other countries. Bottom line, Rabotai, when you have no Torah head, you always make the wrong decision. Care about your own people. Why do you want to help strangers? Same thing Israel. Made a hospital over there. Do you know how many miserable people are in Israel, don't have what to eat? Old people looking in the garbage, thousands of them every day. Maybe they find something to eat. They don't care about them. Some of them are Holocaust survivors. They never cared about them. They care about the Nazis of Ukraine to send them billions of dollars. When they have old nice people in Israel that are looking in the garbage what to eat every day. They don't care about them. So many families are in debt, they don't know what to do. They can't afford it. Half a million Israeli kids go to school to sleep every night hungry. Why don't you give the money to them? Why they are less than these Nazis? The answer is because when you eat non-kosher food, everything Hashem wants you to do, you always do the opposite. You're going to go to a kosher wedding, one side glad kosher, one side taref. Where are you going? To the, to the opposite side. Everything. You're going to have an opportunity to do a real kosher conversion. You're going to go to the reform. Two, one, two, three, take it. Lie to yourself. Why? You eat not kosher. In case you are wondering, I'll finish with a story. You know, every seminar I participated, I saw the same phenomena. Secular Israelis come to the, to the seminar, or Americans. First day, they're very much anti, anti-religion. They don't want to come into the lectures. They stay in the lobby. They go outside smoke. Shabbat, with no shame. They sit in the lobby with their laptop. They stand by the entrance to the hotel with a cigarette. They walk through the electric door. Doors open up. They don't care. They have no shame. But if they come into the lecture, they make sure the speaker cannot talk. They attack. They make all kinds of hate accusations. Second day, 50% of the volume goes down. Still, they don't come in. They're still not interested. When they come in for two minutes, they make one or two stupid comments and they go out again. By the third day, they already dance with the rabbis with the tzitzit. Oh, 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 ay, 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 ay. I've seen it hundreds of times. 
Now you're thinking, oh, we are so great in a seminar with such great speakers. We are able to take an atheist and in two days turn him into a rabbi. Keep dreaming. It's not that easy. What really changed? Especially that most of them don't even come into the lecture. How they change like that? Only one thing. When they came from home, they came after years of eating non-kosher food. Contaminated their soul completely. They can't see what's right, what's wrong. They can't. Now, they arrive to the hotel, first meal, kosher, glad kosher. Already some of the blood is good. Next meal, more kosher food into the stomach. Third meal, more kosher. That's one day. Second day, three more meals. By the third day, after the seventh, eighth meal, all the blood in the body is pure. Going now into the brain, for the first time, the soul received the right food. For the first time. Until now, you have a car, instead of gas, you put solar. <laughs> the car is choking, smoke. You cannot drive. You can drive. Finally, you started to put fuel. First day, second day, third day. The whole system changed. The car drives smooth. The brain works. All of a sudden, you love the rabbi. You don't hate him. Until now, you wanted to kill him. Why? Of course. For seven years, you eat pork and shrimps and worms. Everything religious you hate. Every righteous person you hate. Every lefty you like. Every traitor and enemy of God you like. Every enemies of Israel, you have mercy on them. Every supporter of Israel, you hate, like Trump. 75% of the Jews here in America gave hell to Trump. The more he helped them, the more they betrayed him. The more he was for Israel, the more they hated him. If those liberal, wicked people would eat kosher food for one month, they would all become pro-Trump. And all their rotten ideology would change. Why they have such a crooked, rotten ideology? Because the brain does not receive the right gasoline. You cannot think spiritually correctly. Only impurity goes to the brain. Massive. Conclusion, the most important thing when you want to make a person a Baal Tshuva, if you ask what mitzvah you should ask him to keep, First one is to start eating kosher. From now on, just eat kosher. Well, you have a lot of kosher places. Do not eat not kosher. Once a few days goes when he, eats not, when he eats kosher food, you will see, I promise you, guarantee, a different person. Complete different person. Why? Because now he can finally see what's right, what's wrong. Until now, there was no way to see it. No way to see it. So now, Rabotai, we learned a very important message here. You have to be very, very careful what food you give to your children. You have to make sure not to eat all these greens, broccoli, lettuce, spinach. It's full of worms. It's full of mosquitoes, little, little mosquitoes, tiny ones, in between the leaves. To wash it with a brush, with water, flowing water, with soap. Put it in a soap. Before you begin to eat it, let all the worms go off, it becomes smooth, clean it, rinse it very carefully, check it in the sun. Or buy already bags that are checked. 
They were checked, cost three times more. If you're lazy, do it. Same thing, parsley, cilantro. It's mamash a life risk for the soul. Meat, if you don't know for sure what ashgacha, where it comes, don't touch it. Same thing chicken, same thing fish, you have to be very careful. Sometimes they can give you fish that looks like salmon, but it's not, it's not kosher. Also look pink. Some fish look like flounder, 100%, completely not kosher. So you have to be very careful, Rabotai. You have to be very careful. You have to, people have to pay attention what they eat. Sometimes even in a sushi, this black thing that they have could have a lot of little, uh, a lot of little worms in it. Knimot. Strawberries, full. Strawberry, yeah, the seaweed. Very dangerous. You have to be very careful. If it's not fresh, it could be contaminated with hundreds of them. Strawberry, there's no way to clean it. The only way is to take a knife and to shave it from all directions that you don't have those dots, because inside of them you have microscopic things that you cannot clean. You gotta be careful when you eat strawberry. I didn't eat strawberries for 15 years already, once I found out. You gotta be careful. Broccoli, you have to cut the flowers out. To clean it is an impossible mission. You cut the, the top, you cut out, you eat the heart, the, the, the stem. You have to learn, Rabotai, there are books, how to, what kosher, how to clean. Even online you have information, but it, it's, it's worth it. Because maybe right now you have one thing that you eat daily and it's not kosher and it ruins everything. You pay double on the meat, you pay double on the fish, double on the chicken, every, one little thing messes up the whole thing. One thing that you like to eat, some shake, I don't know what they do it with. It can mess up the whole thing. You gotta be, Bezrat Hashem, you have to learn the conclusion from this shiur, just that you have to make sure what comes out of your mouth, meaning Lashonara and gossip and curses and all kinds of things. You have to watch. You also have to watch very carefully what goes into your mouth. The mouth is a two-way street. The mouth can destroy you. What comes out of it can destroy you. What goes in it can destroy you. That's why you have to be very, very careful about your mouth. Very careful. Why? One Lashonara per day can already make you lose everything. You know, we spoke about it. Next week, parasha. Also, Tazria. You know, it's talking about first in the beginning a woman, if she gives birth to a boy or a girl, and then after that, goes into the laws of Lashonara. The Kohen purified the, the, the leprosy, leprosy in the, in the wall, leprosy in the clothes, leprosy in the body. And then in the next parasha, the same topic, also, Mitzorah, speaking about a person that speaks Lashonara. The Torah gives a person warning. In the old day, people had the merit that Hashem actually spoke to them face to face. You say Lashonara, an hour later you see stains on the wall. You're thinking, what did I do? Why Hashem did this? You begin to remember, oh, I spoke Lashonara about someone. First it goes on the wall, then it goes in your clothes, then it goes in the body, then you have to be isolated for a week. Why you have to be isolated? 
Because what's the Shonara? What's the purpose of speaking gossip against someone? To isolate him from the people. They want the people to hate him. If somebody likes him, and you come and make sure that he will know all the negative you can say about him, what is the purpose of that? Because you're jealous with the other one, or you're angry at him, so you want to create a separation between him and society. What's the punishment? Measure for measure. I will isolate you from the community. One week jail. That's what happened to Miriam, the sister of Aaron, and she meant well. She actually spoke for the sake of her brother, not against him. But it was Lashonara. They put her in isolation for one week. Do you know the embarrassment of a prophet, the daughter of Amram, the sister of Moshe and Aaron, that the whole nation know that she got leprosy and she's in jail now for a week, isolated from the nation? Do you know the embarrassment? Imagine today if we had such thing. You come to the shul, and your entire body is full of leprosy. Everyone in the shul knows that you just spoke Lashon Ara. It's a big embarrassment. And today people don't have no shame. People have no shame. But in the old days it would be a very big shame. Bezrat Hashem, next lecture, maybe tomorrow I'll speak about some of it. We'll see. There's no time now to start with that. Bezrat Hashem. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen Amen. Rabbi Hanani Amen Akashiaum.